Okay, Exodus 32. We are at the foot of Mount Sinai. The people are encamped there. Uh, they see the cloud on the mountain. Moses and the elders had gone up and uh, met with met with God. Now the elders didn't go as intimate as Moses did, but so they're on the mountain. They they come back down. Moses is still on the mountain. We learned that from chapter 31. And uh, if you want to look at it, I didn't put it in here, but chapter 31, verse 18. So the elders have come down. Moses is still on the mountain. God had been giving him the uh, gave him first the moral law, Ten Commandments, gave him the uh, civil law, and then now uh, he's giving him the stones and giving him the details of the tabernacle uh, where God would meet with them. We looked at that last week, but we're not there yet, so Moses is still there. Uh, Forty days go by, you're familiar with the story probably, and he's, he, he tarries, there's a lot of detail to that Tabernacle that God's given him, so he tarries on the mountain. And the people get restless. And so we read that beginning, chapter 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron uh, and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. Uh, for as, as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. We're like the people of Israel. I, I hope you recognize that by now. I'm like the people of Israel. I have the same nature. We have a fallen nature. It's easier for us to live by sight than it is by faith. Um, the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But we're people who'd rather live by sight. We, we want something tangible. We, we want to, uh, we think if we saw the Lord that we would be, uh, faithful. In fact, in the New Testament, one of the disciples said, "Show us, show us God, and we'll be faithful." And and the Lord said to him, "I, I am. That's who I am. When you've seen me, you've seen God." So we have this idea that if and we and we had a visual representation uh, of of God, we would be more faithful. We would be easier for us to believe. Um, but you know, sight is not as reliable as the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So it is, it is the, the Word of God that's infallible, not our sight. Um, they had seen the glory of God. They had seen the deliverance of God. They saw the cloud of God, and yet they still weren't faithful. They weren't, uh, they weren't trusting in it, and so they decided that they would do something about it on, on their own. And we read that beginning in verse 2. Now Aaron said to them, when they're restless, when the people are restless, Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. When I read that, I meant men don't wear earrings because they're not listed in there. That's just a little benefit for you, just a little Bible knowledge, deep theology there. I've never, I never even noticed that before. If you're wearing earring, I, I apologize. I, I don't think there's anything wrong biblically with men wearing earring. I have a nose ring. I just don't wear it here all the time. <laughs> Donna installed it, and uh, she controls it. So, <laughs> okay, now let's get back to the real scripture again. 
I just never had noticed that before. It doesn't mention men. I think I'm going to build a church on that. That's my basic theology. Me and Donnie, me and Donnie together. <laughs> and Ray Stevens, all together. <laughs> so, verse 3, So the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with an engraving tool made a molded calf. And then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So two things I want you to notice. When they made the calf, Aaron said, This is your God. Uh, and the word is Yahweh. He, so he, he, they're, they're practicing idolatry, but they're not denying um, they're not denying the God of Israel. They're not denying that they're saying this idol is representative of the one true God, which is breaking the second commandment. That's, that's idolatry. And you're, you're making something tangible that you can see instead of going by the word of God. So that's idolatry. And, but even though they were saying it is their God, and it is this idol is the God that led them out of Israel, and again, they're using the word for the, for the Lord, so they're not, they're, they're, it's, it's a representation of their God. You know, and what's, what's the deal with idolatry? Why did God say that you shouldn't have idolatry? And I know some weeks ago, Daryl taught the Ten Commandments to you, and you're familiar with them. Um, when, think about their circumstances there, is that when the cloud moved, they moved. When, when the presence of God in their, in their experience after coming out of Egypt, when the, when the presence of God moved, they moved. They had no say in it. They are under the authority of God. They, they come to the base of Mount Sinai, and, and God speaks to them, and they are frightened out of their wits. And they say to Moses, we'll do what he says. Don't let him speak to us anymore. So here is a God that is the is the God, and they can't control him. They can't control him. They're afraid of him. Uh, they don't understand him. They, they're, they're, they're frightened of what he may do to them or do with them because they understand their nature. But if you make an idol and you say that is your God, and whether that idol is, is this building or whether it is what uh, you have, what you feel or if it's anything other, based on anything other than the Word of God, you can control it. If, if, if you believe that the Holy Spirit resides in an idol, let's just say if I made an idol, I can control it. I can say to uh, you, help me pack up this idol because we're going to leave next Monday. We are in charge. And see, that's what we want to do. That's our nature is that we want to be in charge of God. We want God on our side, but we want it to be our side. We want God to be submissive to us instead of us being submissive to God. That's what idolatry does. Idolatry puts us in control, but the, the problem is, is God doesn't accept that. The problem is he called it sin, said we're not to do it, we're not to be tempted to do it, and we're not to give into it when we do. That's why... We believe the Word of God is infallible, which means that uh, it, it, the Word of God is true, 
for all eternity based upon when it was given and the context is where it was given and the language in, when it, in which it was given. So it never changes. Circumstances does not change the Word of God. What our culture is doing does not change the Word of God. See, an idol, you can manipulate an idol, but you cannot manipulate the Word of God. So faith comes by hearing. This is the point I want to get across at this, at this point in time. God speaks to us through the Scripture, and it, the words have eternal meaning, and we're to trust the words. And through those words, we're to see God. Uh, we don't see Him with our sight. We see Him with our faith. We, and, and we have to discipline ourselves to do that. Well, they're not doing that. In the camp, they're not doing that. And we see sin's excesses here. Look in verse 5, uh, he built a, 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 an altar and he made a proclamation, said tomorrow is a, f- a feast to the Lord. One of the, one of the guys I read after is named Parsons, and one of the things he said is that if you want to have a great church, then have, uh, have, have a lot of visual things, uh, and he said, and have a party. Make it into a party. Have your music and visuals, and you make it into a party. Because people like visual, and they like to party. And, <clears throat> and we just have planned one, so uh, I can't help it. I just think about things like that. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to come. Okay, so... When they did that, they rose, verse 6, they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. J.M., James Montgomery Boy said this, said, Aaron probably thought the bull that he made, and it was be the image of a bull, that's been established, uh, the calf would be a young bull, and he had reminded the people of the mighty power of God. But instead, it reminded them of the sexual potency uh, of the bull. Uh, when you, and, and the, when they rose up to play, they sat down to feast, they rose up to play, and the, and the, and the, the indication in the Hebrew is that they are uh, sexual. They rose up, and some people just call it an orgy, that they have uh, an orgy. And you know, this is consistent with Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 when you deny the word of God, and that's what they were doing, they made themselves an idol, and sin leads to sensuality, sensuality leads to sexual sin, and it leads to deviation, and um, this, is, this is what happened to them, and Romans 1 shows that progression, and here's what I have put in the notes, and here, that today's deviant sexual liberation of the LGBTQ2 plus movement is a direct rebellion against the God who created them. What the children of Israel were doing was a direct rebellion against the God who led them out there, and that's what's happening today. You know what's so sad? When I was putting that in the notes, I don't know all the letters in the LGBTQ you know, I didn't, I didn't know all that acronym. And my autocorrect gave it to me. So it's become such a, uh, su- such a standard thing that the autocorrect on my computer gave it to me. That's just sad, isn't it? That's, that's where we are. So not only are they on Jeopardy, but they're also in my computer. 
my wife and I, that's our devotion. We watch Jeopardy. And, uh, <clears throat> and now we're going to have to give it up. I'm just joking, but because it's so serious, it makes you cry if you don't. Uh, somebody asked me a while back, said, what if one of your grandkids, somebody asked, actually asked me, what if your, one of your grandkids was homosexual? And I said, I'd love them, and I'd tell them exactly the same thing I'm telling you. I'd love them enough to say you're in rebellion against God, and you're on dangerous ground, and you are, are flirting with disaster because God's going to hold you accountable. And I love you enough to tell you that. I love you enough to be honest with you about that. All of us know people who are falling in this trap, and it is deceit, and it is dangerous, and it is, uh, it's not unredeemable, but it is inconsistent with grace. Uh, we are seeing people today in our culture who are saying that they are homosexual Christians and they may go to a church that calls itself Christian, but they, it, it is inconsistent uh, with grace. It, it will not re- God's grace will not reside with, with rebellion. And so don't be fooled in any sense. So this sexual deviation is going on here, and God speaks to them. And, and verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, go down. Uh, Go get down for your people whom you brought up the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked people means if in, in their... Their culture, if you're trying to lead a cow or you're trying to lead a, a, an animal and they were refusing to go and they stiffen their neck, this is what he's saying. This is a stiff-necked people. They're stiffening their neck against my, my leadership. And then verse 10, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. It's really interesting when God does that. He he, he describes their sin. He offers to destroy them. He says to Moses, move aside. I'm going to destroy them, and I'll make of you a great nation. Now, when we're reading this, we know God made a covenant with Abraham. Uh, uh, he made an unconditional covenant, which means Abraham, wasn't on, Abraham didn't have to keep his part. God said to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to do it. And, and, it, and, and it, your nation's going to influence the world. Okay, so Moses knew that. He, he knew that covenant. And, and yet God's saying, I'm going to break, he's saying, if you move aside, I'm going to break that covenant. So did God mean that? Would he have actually done that? And I'm saying to you, no, he would not. He would not break his unconditional covenant with, with Abraham. It's a test for Moses. It's a test for Moses, and I say to you all the time that we go through life and we're tested regularly by God. And we think it's the circumstances of the world, but God's in control of the circumstances. There is no such thing as luck or fate. God is in control of our world. He's in control of my world and your world, and when they clash, he's still in control. And so uh, Moses has to decide, am I, am I going to trust him? What a prideful thing if God were to say, to me, I'm going to let you take the place of Abraham. You're such a great person, and you're so faithful. I'm going to let you take the place of Abraham. 
And that's, that's what he's saying here. And Moses responds. This is the greatness of Moses in verse 11. Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Really interesting. God had said to him, those are your people down there. And Moses saying, no, they're your people. And sometimes mom and dad says that about the kids. So, um, so he makes this argument with God. Your wrath burned hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand. And then listen to his argument. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountain, and to consume them from the face of the earth, turn from your fierce wrath, and relent from this harm to your people? And then he gives his second argument. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Now go back to the covenant. He made the covenant with Abraham that not only are you going to have these descendants, but you're going to have this land. Wherever your foot goes, you're going to have this land. It's going to be yours eternally. And so he, he repeated that covenant to Isaac, and he repeated it to Jacob, but Moses doesn't say Jacob, and, and a lot of times it does. It says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what God says, but this time, this time Moses is saying back to God, you made this covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now, why? Because Israel was the name that God gave Jacob. It was a covenant name that I am I'm making of you. And Jacob wasn't worthy of that. Jacob was a scoundrel. But he's saying, I'm, I'm making of you this covenant nation, and I'm naming you Israel. These are my people. These are my people. So, so he's arguing with God about God's own will. And the essence of prayer that is effective prayer is that when we pray for people, we pray according to God's will. Now, we don't just say, I'm praying according to God's will. I can't just say, I'm praying according to God's will that you get a new job. I'm praying according to God's will that you um, get a new car or get a new whatever. That's not God's revealed will. God's revealed will is I'm, I'm praying that you might honor God. I'm praying that my children might honor God. My grandchildren might honor God. I, I'm, I'm praying that I might honor God. I'm praying that we might glorify him. See, now we're praying according to God's will. We're praying that God be exalted in, in our lives and in our ministry and our heart and our family and our world. We're praying according to God's will. Uh, we're not praying for the, for the solution of all the problems, but we're praying for God to be glorified in those problems. That's praying according to God's will. See, God, God answers according to his will. So Moses is arguing the will of God. He's reminding God in his intercessory prayer, you have made this covenant, and it's your name that's at stake. It, it's your name that is going to be defamed if you don't keep your word. So God responds to that um, in verse 14. <clears throat> 
So the Lord relented from his harm, which he had said he would do to the people. <clears throat> but that is, a, that is a collective repentance. There's still going to be an accountability for the people. Verse 15. Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on one side and on the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Moses heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said, when Joshua heard the noise, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And so you you know the story, I'm not going to belabor it, but he comes into the camp, he confronts Aaron, said, what's happening? Aaron said, I just took these earrings, I threw them in the fire, and out came this golden calf. And, you know, um, we, do, <clears throat> we do that sometimes. We, we're like Aaron, we blame circumstances. Well, it's just the circumstances of life. Uh, and I just had to, I got caught up in the circumstances. And Moses, here's what he did. Verse 20, he took the calf which they had burned in the fire, ground it to powder, which they had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Now, why do you do that? If, it, if he had just uh, ground it to powder, uh, people had been trying to gather it up again. It was gold, after all. They understood the value of gold. But what he did is that they drank it, and what happened to it? It's not going to be digested. It's going to be refuse. And so uh, it, is a, it is an indication to the people that this is the power of that idol. It's, it's refuge. It, it has absolutely no power at all. It is dung. And, and that's, it, it, was, it was an example to them and they, that they had to participate in. It was an illustration to them of the powerlessness of that as, as well. <clears throat> as disposing of it completely. Moses said to Aaron, verse 21, what, what did you do to this people that you brought so great a sin upon them? And uh, <clears throat> so then Moses, I mean, then Aaron makes his excuse. But here's what God said <clears throat> in verse 25, or, or what Moses does. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, you know, there's, there's key words, they were unrestrained, in, in their morality. Moses, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered to get themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out among the entrance, from entrance to entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. You know, when you teach, you have to teach everything. And uh, uh, you think, well, this is kind of harsh. Um, They had already had to drink the gold, but they still were unrestrained. There were people... Now, if if there were two million people there, plus uh, not every person's guilty. Evidently, the sons of Levi were not guilty. Not every person's guilty, but... Some people, some commentators say this is the leadership. Some people say it's just, it's just the various people throughout the camp who are unrestrained. So not everybody's participating in this orgy, but some people are. 
And so the sons of Levi, they go through, and God brings judgment. Uh, the wages of sin is death. Um, we have a tendency to elevate the value of human life over the human soul. And, and, and God doesn't. And I want you to understand what I'm saying is that, and, and God punishes sin sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, God punishes sin by bringing physical death for the greater good, for, for the greater good. Um, I'm going to jump to the next chapter right here. And, I, and to make a point, in the next chapter, when this is over, um, God says to Moses, okay, if I dwell with this people, I'm, I may destroy them. So I'm going to send my angel with you to the promised land. And I'm just going to tell you the story. And Moses pleads again with God. And he basically says to God, if you don't go with us, then take me. He, he, he wants to become... He wants to become the sacrifice that God would forgive these people. God had already relented from killing them all, and he killed 3,000. The Levites killed 3,000 that day, but out of 2 million, I don't mean this lightly, but it's not a significant number, but it was enough to get their attention, and so they they repented. And God withheld his hand of destroying all the people, but there's a difference between God withholding judgment and restoring fellowship. Okay, we who are married know about that, right? There is a difference between we say, okay, we're stopped fighting, but we haven't restored fellowship. And so, and, and so we know about that. We know about that sometimes in other, at work, we know about it in other relationships. <clears throat> And Moses wants God to restore fellowship to these people. He wants it to be more than just a withholding of judgment. And so he offers himself. He said, you know, do away with me and, and love these people and go, go with these people. And, and, and you can read it for yourself, but I'm just summarizing it. And God says to him, uh, I, I, when I send my angel and he'll go with you in the promised land. Now remember, God had just given him all the dimensions of the tabernacle. He started with the ark. He started with theology. God has said, that's where I will meet with you on the mercy seat of the ark. That's where my presence will be when I meet with you and meet with this people. And now he's saying, I'm not going, but I'm going to send my angel. And Moses is saying, if, if you don't go, I'm not going. I don't, don't send me. I'm not going. So Moses is saying, I don't, want, I don't want to settle just for you withholding judgment. I want to restore fellowship. And then he goes on and, and he says to God, show me your glory. Okay? Chapter 33, verse 1. Now, I'm making a point for 32, but let's look at it. Now, then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. And I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to your descendant, and I'll give you. Uh, and I will send my angel before you. That's the second time he said it. And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorite, the Hizzite, the Prezite, and the, all of them, and go to the land flowing with milk and honey. <clears throat> okay. And so Moses asked to see his glory. Um, look at verse 12. But Moses, uh, chapter 33. 
But Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if you have found grace in my in your if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And and God said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said, if your presence doesn't go, do not bring us up from here. Okay, and now, verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name, and this is what I wanted to get to, verse 18, and Moses said, please show me your glory. Okay, show me your glory. Now Moses has already been meeting with the Lord, uh, Moses had been meeting with the Lord on the mountain. Moses had moved his tent outside the camp, and God came and met with Moses there in his presence. His, it was his uh, Shekinah glory that came. But Moses is asking for more than that. He's saying, show me your glory. And this is what I want you to see in verse 19. And he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And he, and then he said to him, you cannot see my face, because nobody see my face and live. So when Moses sang, show me your glory, God's saying, okay, I will. And what is that glory? It is the goodness of God. Not the power. He doesn't start with power. He doesn't start with authority. He doesn't start with righteousness or holiness, which God is all those things, but all those things proceed out of his goodness. And that's what we need to cement in our theology, is that God is good. God is good. He just killed 3,000. He just had 3,000 people killed. Okay? He, he, just, he, he just exercised his righteousness and holiness and, and killing the unrestrained people. But it's out of his goodness. There is a hell that is literal and real and will be eternal, but it's out of God's goodness. There is suffering in our world because of the curse of sin, and sometimes it is, I'm suffering because I've sinned, and sometimes I suffer because you've sinned, and sometimes we suffer because they have sinned, but there, and, and sometimes we suffer because the world, the, the creation itself, is under the bondage of sin, and, and there's hurricanes and tsunamis and all those things, and, and so sometimes we suffer because of the curse of sin, but that is out of the goodness of God. And if you can't cement that in your theology, you're always going to struggle with God's faithfulness. When God shows Moses his glory, it is his goodness. It's his goodness. God's righteousness comes out of his goodness. He's doing good to his people because of his righteousness. If, if, if there was no righteousness, we would be a mob. If there was no righteousness, we, would, we could have no basis for society. If, if there was no recompense for sin... 
uh, we would have a lawless society. You understand what I'm saying to you this morning? Everything, every aspect of God's nature comes out of his goodness. Some of the things in God's nature we love. We love his, uh, we love, his uh, love. He, he, he is love. We, we, we love that. We love that part. Uh, sometimes we're not so enamored with his unbending righteousness. He's, he's unbending in his righteousness and his justice. And so when we go back and we see that these 3,000 people were killed, and then he's saying, I'm going to lead you into the land, I'm going to drive out these tribes that are there. But I want to remind you that when, when God told Abraham that your descendants are going to go into Egypt for 400 years, I'm giving you this land. Why did he give it to him that day? Because all these tribes live there. And God, God said to Abraham, your descendants are going to go into Egypt, be there 400 years, and then I'm going to bring you back because their iniquity is not yet full. God's given these tribes 400 years for them to change their iniquity, their idolatry and their sinfulness and their rebellion against the one true God. And Isn't that patience? How long do you want? How many generations is that in 400 years? If a generation in their time was probably... 40, 50 years old. I don't know exactly, but, when, but, but God is very patient. And so why is he going to allow the nation of Israel to drive them out? Because their iniquity is now full. And they deserve what they're getting. And so I, ha- I have to, when I look at the world today, and I see what's happening um, to the people who are repressed around the world in Iran, maybe in, uh, in the war and. Uh, and, and um, okay, our president said that was in Iran, but it is in Ukraine. I had to stop and think, where is that war? And, and then we also know of people who are being oppressed around the world, other areas, you know, like a million Muslims in China that, that nobody will talk about, nobody in our government will talk about. Um, and so you understand, when we see those things, we think, okay, what's happening? What's happening in our world, and what, why, why is God not moved, and am I safe? Am I safe? We've been hearing a lot about the destruction of democracy, and we think, are our grandchildren safe? Are they going to be safe in this country? Is this going to become a third world country? And we have all these fears, and, it, and we, these fears can sometimes overrule us because we do not believe in the goodness of God. Okay, you go all the way back, and one of the philosophers uh, early on and said, you know, here's the conundrum. The conundrum is, if God is good, why is there evil? And so if he's good, but there's evil, he must not be powerful. And so, because he can't stop it. Or... He is powerful, but he's not good, and so he allows the evil, and he causes the evil. And so what do you do about that? And I say what you do is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God showed his goodness to Moses. Moses said, I want to see your glory. I want to see, I want to see your majesty. And God said, my majesty consists of goodness. That's who I am. That's who I am. And, and, and we're sinners, and we're here this morning and haven't been judged because of the goodness of God. He sends his son 
because of the goodness of God. He becomes our intercessor. He becomes our substitute sacrifice because of the goodness of God. And that's the point I want to leave you with this morning. That's the point that happens in this story. Um, God revealed to Moses his absolute goodness. And you need to think about for yourself, do I believe in the absolute goodness of God, or am I just fearful of him? Do I believe in his existence? I believe in his power. I believe he's there, uh, but I believe he's vengeful, and I'm a little fearful of him. Um, You know, sometimes the Bible uses the word fear, and it means awe, that we be in awe of God. And, and when, we, when we understand the goodness of God, the goodness works itself out in judgment. It works itself out in, in, in uh, punishment. It works itself out in, in righteousness in those areas. That's still the goodness of God. If I have that settled, I'm at peace with God. Uh, I, I trust him. And, uh, I, and that gives you a peace inside of you. I hope you have grasped that this morning. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you for these illustrations you've given to us. And thank you that you were willing to show Moses your goodness. And Lord, you've shown your goodness to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, Let let us never forget that, that Lord, you were willing uh, for yourself to be sacrificed, that we could be forgiven. That Lord, not just that judgment would be withheld from us, but that fellowship would be restored. Uh, Father, I pray you'd help us to recognize that as Moses desired to see you and to know, to know you more intimately, that we can know Christ more intimately if we just desire to, if we make that a priority in our lives. Help us to understand that. Help us to understand it's not our circumstances, but uh, Lord, it's our, our love for you, our trust in you, our surrender to you. Uh, make that possible in our lives this morning through your word. And we'll be grateful, we will exalt your name and uh, bless you, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you, glad you're here this morning, and we'll continue Moses' life next week, Lord willing.